Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Daniel Hendrick Experience. My friends, you are in for a treat today. There's one word to describe this special treat, legendary. We have literally a legend with us today, Mr. Alan Hell. My brother, thanks for being here. I'm thrilled to do this podcast with you and be a part of this. Uh, it's a cloudy day in Wichita, but uh, hopefully it's a great day where you're at. There you go. Well, folks, let me tell you a little bit about this young fella. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well into his fourth decade as one of the leading singer-actors of today, American bass baritone Alan Hell has appeared in major roles in the world's finest opera houses. And, you know, that's kind of a cliche term that opera singers use, right, in general. You have to like, start like like i've sung in some of the world's famous opera houses but nothing like this guy right this guy i mean from the royal opera house covent garden paris opera bavarian state opera one of my favorites uh la scala in milano i mean he's sung everywhere everybody in the opera world knows them and my good buddy the very first guest on this program of all time john kai said you got to have Alan on. He's not only an amazing artist, but an amazing human being. So once again, brother, welcome. And if you if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about your journey. What? How did this all happen? Wow, that's going back. Because as you said, it's only four decades as a singer, but there were several decades before that, before I became a singer. I grew up in a very small farming town in central Illinois. Um, I, I'm going to condense things very quickly. Sure. Here. Yes, I, please. I started uh, learning piano when I was in second grade, and I started playing the tuba when I was in fourth grade. Wow. And, um, was involved. My, my little hometown had uh, 225 people, I think, in the in the high school, but we had 90 kids in the band and 90 kids in the chorus. And plus, you could still do basketball, you could still do baseball, you could still do cross country, all those things. And we did. We did everything. And you didn't have to specialize. You could be. And I was involved with everything. Uh, I was just that kind of kid. And um, tuba was kind of my jam, as we would say. Uh, in 1972, I was oh. in the Junior High School Band of America. And we traveled you know, across the eastern half of the country. And actually, that was the first time I was in the Kennedy Center. It had only just opened. And we went to a, um, a performance while we were there. Little did I know. Well, I fell asleep. I was 12 years old. I fell asleep on the man's arm next to me. I had no idea. Oh. Never knew that the Kennedy Center would become such a big part of my, my career. Your existence. But what's yeah. really great, well, this is the best part of the story, is that night while I was at the Kennedy Center, the Watergate was being broken into right next door. So I was there. <laughs> yeah, actually, there were war uh, rumors that there was a 12-year-old that had a key to that building. And, and a tuba. And a tuba. <laughs> so, so I guess in the early days, playing the tuba, that was teaching you support before you knew that you were going to learn yeah. what support was. That, that's true. I think the support's a little bit different, but it, it is true. And But I always wanted to be a, a, an educator. I remember the first time I told my high school band director that I was thinking about getting a career in music, and I think about blew him over. Um, and he was thrilled. He was thrilled. And he and his wife then supported me strongly to go to Millican University in Decatur, Illinois, where I did my undergraduate studies in music uh, education. And when I started at Millican, I was, I was a, as an instrumental major. But I'd also auditioned on voice as well. Um, similar because I like to sing. And uh, there was one teacher there named Jocelyn Reiter heard me and she said, drop the tuba, stop playing the tuba. You need to become a singer. And once wow. I heard the college chorale or college choir sing at a, a convocation of some kind or a, uh, something, uh, I knew that's what I wanted to do was at least sing in a choir. So I called my parents and they said, no, we don't mind that you switch to voice, but you have to stay in education. Mm. So all of my... Training was as a music educator, and I'm so grateful that we did go the route. During my senior year of college, then I heard a, a man named Dr. George Gibson um, heard me sing at a master class, and he invited me to come to Wichita State. And a few things happened along the way, but here I am back in Wichita right now, <laughs> uh, where I'm the director oh, of the opera program back here. Back to your roots. Back to my roots. Uh, I'm still singing, still have performances coming up. Um, just talked to a company yesterday about another, something else coming up. But uh, I, when Wichita State called me, oh, I guess about 10 years ago, to ask if I'd be interested in coming back to teach at some point, I said, absolutely. Uh, so this gave me a base. I said, I'm not done singing, 
but I'm happy to come back and 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 since then I've taken over the the entire opera program and also the coordinator for the voice department and mm, beautiful. I get to go out and sing. I get to do master classes. I still perform. It's it's just the best of all worlds to be able to do that. Oh, I'm also the director of sacred music at the the diocese here in Wichita too. So, Ooh, and I want to talk more things. about that yeah. too. Sure. You know, I can hear the the frequency. In the tone of your voice, it still sounds youthful after all these years of singing. I hope so. Uh, I was blessed to begin with, with a very bright, forward voice. I um, hear that. Maybe it's an Illinoisian thing. I don't know. Um, but the, the placement, I remember someone telling me, I think I was about 24, saying, Ellen, you will never have notes <laughs> because you keep the, I, I keep the voice very forward. It's healthy. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's just natural. Uh, I've always had a very loud voice when I would do the church pageants for Christmas when I was a kid. My mother would tell me to make sure you speak up so the people in the back can hear you. They could hear me seven blocks away. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's a blessing to, to have a voice that's, that's placed well. Wow. And um, it, it, it's, I've also found out through teaching, teaching has made me a better performer. Performer. Mm -hmm. and performing yes. has made me a better teacher. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll be in the middle. I remember after I was teaching here at Wichita for a year or two, I was in Vienna singing Zalame, which is one of those pieces I do a gazillion times. See, John the Baptist is never far away. There it is. Uh, <laughs> I was singing Zalame, and it was a tiring night. Uh, you know, in Vienna, you're lucky if you get one or two days of rehearsal. And I was pretty tired in this, this, this run. And I said, okay, what does Alan Held, the teacher, tell Alan Held, the singer, at this very moment? Yes. And that made all the difference in the world. Sailed through the rest of the performance. So... Um, yeah, I think that they go hand in hand. That's for sure. And also it helped when I was coming up in the business, the Metropolitan Opera was the fourth or fifth opera house I ever worked in. Uh, it came on very early because I had a large voice. They heard the the size of the instrument and they thought, mm -hmm. well, we need to nurture. But in my, one of my first casts was Krista Ludwig and of course, James Morris and you know, okay. these great singers. And I had to learn, my technique wasn't sorted out yet. I had to learn by watching them in the wings and then walking on stage and having to sing with them, all these people, you know, Nikolai Giorov, Alfredo Krauss, of course, Luciano Pavarotti, D Domingo, all of, all of these people. And Don't um, recognize those names, yeah. No, uh, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to name them, but I'm trying to say that they had very special techniques that was great totally. for me. Especially you look at Alfredo Krauss. My gosh, the man's technique was flawless. Yeah. And to, to, to just be able to rehearse with them and then perform with them and spend time with them and tell stories with them and listen to them, mm. that, that was the best, best education I got was doing that. Wow. Because if I have done that, I mean, that's how I learned languages, too, uh, actually having to use them. And yes. you, you're sitting in the middle of a, um, uh, you know, of a rehearsal. Rehearsal. Of good enough, yeah. And you hear all these native Russians speaking, and you're like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do here? You know, and you really have to work at it. Uh, I remember Nico Castell telling me when I like the first thing I did at the Met, my first year I was an understudy on the opera, Lulu. What a piece to start out. <clears throat> and uh, I had to um, <laughs> really work on this piece. And I coached it with Nico Castell. And we, you know, the first time he heard me, he said, wow. oh, you've, got so work. "You've got so much work." And I didn't like that. I came in really unprepared, and I didn't mm. know, I didn't know how much really needed to go into this thing. Yes. And um, so I went away then for three or four weeks. Uh, it was still many weeks before the rehearsal period started, and I uh, came back and I had it pretty much perfect. And Nico's like, "Wow, you've been working your butt off." Well, if I'm going to try to work in those situations, I needed to, and uh, that's. Learning with the, and that's under in, in that kind of environment was totally uh, <laughs> influential <laughs> to me. There you go. That's really wonderful. Hey, we have a little piece that I wanted to share with everybody. Can you set that up for us? Wow, this is going back. I was just a puppy. Um, mm -hmm. 1990, the Metropolitan Opera Ring Cycle. Um, this is a little clip from Das Rheingold when I was singing Donner. Um, this was one of those productions where I had to learn how to perform real quick. It was my first mm. Wotan role. Um, mm. I was already learning Wotan because I was doing it the next year in Brussels, but it was only the Rheingold Wotan. Valkyra Wotan and Siegfried Wotan, of this Wanderer, you need to put those off. You need to take time. But the Rheingold Wotan was not so hard. But here I was doing Donner at the same time when I'm uh, singing there with James Morris and Eckhard Vlasiha. Wow. Uh, 
gosh, who was it, Mati Salman and, and Jan Henrik Rodering, all these great low voices. And I was like, yikes. And so then they put yeah. you in this gorgeous costume and you go up the mountain and you sing Hey Da Hey Do, and it was just a blast. Mm -hmm. And then they, yeah, this was televised. I, I mean, this is amazing. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. even, I, I think I just turned 30 years old. Amazing. So, I always thought I had a big voice until I sang next to Jane Moore, James Morris. <laughs> you know, Jim. Oh, gosh, I'm telling some stories. Jim, uh, uh, in the next, after that year, uh, the 1990, when they brought it back in 93, 97, uh, 2000, 2004, I was his understudy for all those uh, performances. Oh, really? As well as singing Donner and Gunther and Goethe Demro. Uh, oh, of course, I was already singing Botan myself, but I would come back for that ring production. But Jim... We'd be on stage, wonderful guy. We'd be doing Rheingold, and he'd come over to me about, oh, two-thirds of the way through the opera, and he says, Alan, he says, I'm really feeling tired tonight. I, I don't know if I can sing Valkyria tomorrow night. You're going to have to be ready. I'm like, gee, Christmas is on stage. I'm like, Jim, don't do that to me. I've got to try to <laughs> sleep tonight now. I can't sleep. And it, he only, only twice whenever I covered him that I have to go on for him. And it was an honor to get to do it, too. Once was in San Francisco. And that was the night after I sang my very first Wanderer in Siegfried, and I had to turn around and sing Valkyrie the next night. And the other night, uh, nights were in Paris when we were both singing Hoffmann. We were, we were scheduled together, but there was a night that he couldn't sing, and so I went on for him as well. But we, we, these colleagues, we, we have these legends that we think, oh, my gosh, but they're just great people. Uh, Jim and I would go out for Easter dinner in, in Munich. Mm. Um, Pavarotti had us over for uh, a Coke and, and cookies. One day we had <laughs> you get to see people how they they really are and they're they're yes than you are so wow okay well let's check it out man. <laughs> And thus, ladies and gentlemen, why they acclaim him as the actor singer right there. <laughs> and you were saying you were telling me that you had to learn in that moment that, but that was pretty dramatic. You holding that yeah, that act, is, whatever that thing that was. That is not very steady, and it's you're you're kind of shaking the whole time, and it's like oh, oh god. And I'm sitting here thinking as a teacher, okay, fix that, fix that, fix that, fix that. <laughs> You know, and then I think for a 30 year old, you know, kid, that wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. So. Are you kidding? Yeah, I heard the way you popped into the head voice on the on the one high note and the the alignment was, and was, I was pretty good. I was just beginning how to learn how to do that at that time. I mean, wow. Uh, I think the, the, the night of my Metropolitan uh, debut was in Billy Budd. I was singing um, Mr. Redburn. Um, he has a high F sharp, and I'd never sung an F sharp in public. 
Uh, mm. I had that on my Met debut. And not only that, he also has a high G. I had to do that uh, on stage as well. So like I said, you learn by doing. You have to, you can't say just mm-hmm. say in the studio the whole time. You've got no. to put it out there. Yes. You've got to put it out there. And you know, you, 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 sometimes you fail. All right. Yes. Yes. But failure only leads to success. And you've, you've, you've got to go through those experiences. And yeah. Yeah. I'm just very grateful that I had that time. So that's what oh, it's easier now. I can hear, <laughs> see you have that. We, we could, we could talk for three hours just about that process right there. You know why it was easier? Cause I didn't think about it before I did it too. Uh-huh. I always say as singers, we're not paid to think we're there paid to go. sing. And if we start thinking about everything before we sing all the time, it has to get to a point that it's just natural. And then yes. you know, it's, it happens. That's a whole brain thing too. You know how oh. it's the same with the baseball player. If you're getting up to the plate yeah. and you're thinking about where your elbow is and your feet are, you're screwed. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know, I was a basketball player and you know, I'm six foot five, big surprise there. But oh the my thing, God. The whole thing with the shot and the release, it has to be smooth. There's one motion. You can't stop and jerk in the middle of it or the shot's going to go awry. And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, they interviewed Steph Curry about that. You know, the greatest about shooter of all. Singing? About Rainbow? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my! But and he said he said a similar thing. He's like, when I'm in that place, the worst thing I can do is think about it. Absolutely. Something are, to that effect. There are performances, and it happens very rarely, actually, where you, where all of a sudden it crosses through your mind, "Wow, this is really going well tonight." You know, mm-hmm. and. Like you do almost anything. And I think back, because I equate a lot of my performing to sports, to athletics, because that was a big Me part too, of it. Me too, yes. And I, I think there were a few games that I was like, people give me the ball tonight. I'm having a night. You're, you know, on, you're on. And those are the night, you know, like when Steph will score out and you know, will go out and you know, put up 50 or something like that. You just know it's the night. That's yes. I find it usually in recitals more than opera performances. I feel like, okay, wow, this is... This is really vocally. I'm in. I'm in the spot. I'm in the groove. This is really great. And then you can you can caress notes. You can do high note floating. You can do all these things that you wouldn't want to try out in opera. You know, sometimes yes. depending on the yes. and the conductor. And of course, in that clip, you had the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra underneath you, and you just like, oh. wow. what? Not what? bad, brother. Not bad. No, no. And James Levine conducting it. I mean. Um, I mean, amazing. You are definitely up there in the legend category, my friend. Oh, so, oh. Uh, so I wanted to talk to you. I heard you talking on an interview, and you were talking about Wagner versus Verdi, and how you felt, which I happen to agree with. Oh, Verdi good. is a lot. Yeah, because hey, I'm the podcast host, right? So. <laughs> I'm the authority. <laughs> so anyhow, <clears throat> but I am in total agreement with you. Uh, my genre was kind of Puccini, but I did some Wagner. But I've always felt that uh, Verdi was a little bit more Olympic and required of the voice a lot more kind of gymnastics than Wagner. Is that your... I agree with that. Uh, um First of all, the, 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 in a typical Verdi aria, you'll see more of an extreme of a range yes. than well in a Wagner uh, uh, aria. If you're through composed, I mean, if you want to call them arias, um, Wagner stays more in the same tessitura and without all the leaps. Wagner yes. requires more breadth of sound, but less height of sound. Extension. Uh-huh. There, there, there's the word. And, and speed. And speed. Absolutely. You and don't have the la donna mobile with your going boom, boom, goodness. boom. Thank goodness. No, no. Everything you get, you get a chance to to just concentrate before you sing. When you approach the high notes, there's a good approach to it. Uh, Wagner, for all of his flaws, was an absolutely incredible genius. Absolutely incredible. Yes. Genius. And you know, people think Wagner orchestras are so big. They're so they are. Small, 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 <laughs> and they are. There's a lot of people down there in that pit when you're singing. Sometimes you look down there and you go, oh, my gosh, there's 95 of them and one of me. You know, same thing with Strauss. Same, same thing with Strauss. I sing Electra. You need 117 people who you're trying to sing over. I mean, that's incredible. And I, I talk about that with students. I mean, Broadway is the original. I mean, opera is the original music theater that Broadway has taken. 
okay? Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. the original music theater, and we did it without microphones. We did it without all of yes. those aids. So you have to learn, especially in Wagner and Strauss, to be a part of the orchestra, to not try to sing over it. Over that. I'm going to sing over the, all those people and hit to the back wall. No. You have to find yourself, even though you're on the stage, you have to find your place in that overture where your voice, your solo line comes through. And and Strauss did the same thing when when he you know, all of a sudden he'd use a you know flute part of this or a trumpet solo or you know it happens all the time and and Wagner too and you'd have to find out where your place is in that orchestra mm. and realize that you're the soloist with them but don't try to overpower <clears throat> them because you won't and you won't make it to the end yes if you're singing Valkyrie or, or or Hans Sachs for crying out loud when the 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 third act of Meistersinger is two hours long which is longer <laughs> and that's just music. Which is longer than the music in all of Bohem and most yes. of us. I mean, yikes! I, I, I sing Scarpia now quite often, and which I love singing. And, I mean, it's so what beautiful. a role! What a role! Oh my God! <clears throat> One of the greatest entrances in opera. <clears throat> but the, the the um and such a nice guy he is. Oh, golly! <laughs> I, I want to take him to meet my wife. He he he. When I'm singing the role, the first acts over really quickly you know you end with the todayum and it's fabulous <clears throat> and then you're all of a sudden you're halfway through the second act and you're my gosh this evening's almost over you know because you're, yes. you're you die at the end of the second act and who cares what happens in the third act you know she's going to jump so uh, you just it, it's just so fast and it's right it's a different kind of singing you've got to pace yourself a little differently in it's a, different yeah. yeah you know i have a little anecdotal uh story about tosca um, you probably don't know, but early in my career, I was 22, I lost my voice. It was called spasmodic dysphonia. And back then, they didn't even know what that was. They were just beginning the scoping. They scoped me. They couldn't find out anything was wrong. To make a long story short, years later, make my debut at City Opera, singing at San Francisco. But my mentor was Giuseppe Di Stefano, and his Tosca was like the standard, right? And so I'm on stage. The Tosca was Pamela South. I don't know if you remember her. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. And I am right. I am there singing Eluchev on the Stella. And the tears start rolling down my face. (laughs) And I'm crying while I sing it. But I was crying because I was so grateful to God. Amen. That I was even able to sing above a G, let alone just finishing the opera Tosca. For that moment in time, you were designed to be there. Mm-hmm. And no question that that not only were you blessing others, but you were being blessed greatly. And, <clears throat> you know, that's wonderful that you had that while you're singing. It was I, profound. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, gratitude. It, it, gratitude, yeah, gratitude. Absolutely. And of all the ups and downs that I have had in my career... Uh, which I document, by the way, in my book. No, you know the story I of how get a copy of that. <laughs> I'm going to send you a copy, of course. <laughs> and it's it's really about uh, one day I was playing with my dog. The dog growled. I growled back, and I felt a shock from my brain to my cords. Oh, and and I went err because I was like talking before, like like spasmodic dysphonia, like. Uh, the nephew of John F. Kennedy. Yeah. Anyhow, um, and I felt that first connection to the full body of my cord that I hadn't felt in years. And that was the beginning of getting my voice back. Then a few years later, I made my debut in Mephistopheles at uh, City Opera with oh. Mark Delavan. Oh, Mark. Great guy. Yeah. Great guy. Uh, <laughs> gorgeous voice. 30 years ago when we first performed together. And he's one of those guys that we... We stay in touch on Facebook, or every now we'll send each other a note. Um, you know, it's, these friends, fr- friends and colleagues that you make in the business, like you're talking about John Kais. I mean, you go years without seeing each other, but then you pick up right back because you're sharing Amazing. experience. But for you to go through such a uh, a vocal crisis, eight years, and come out so well on the other side. Mm-hmm. That's that's truly amazing. That's a blessing. That's really impressive. so. As I was telling you in the book, I kind of document all of these spiritual experiences that I had. How about you? Has faith uh, played an important part of your life and your journey? 
it's the foundation of everything I do. Um, it almost sounds too easy to say that, but, but I get it. I can think back. It, it probably started for me even when I was, I, I don't even know. It was before I was a teenager. I know that. Uh, but I, we lived right across the street from the Presbyterian church in my little hometown where I grew up. And I started playing for services very early on, um, uh, mm. a piano. And, um, I never could figure out the organ because my legs don't fit underneath. <laughs> so I can't get the feet going, you know, so. A little uh, too tall. But fortunately, I have really big hands, and so I can play octaves and bigger than octaves with my hands. So I've covered with it. But Excellent. anyway, um, I was just, I just had some great Christian mentors in my life. Um, but my wife and I were married uh, in 1982 and had been married, oh, a few years. And when we both converted to Catholicism, which mm. is really quite a, a jump from, that's a jump it, it really quite a jump from where we came from and uh we were both were raised presbyterian but i just can't imagine a time where the lord wasn't present because he always was maybe i wasn't mm -hmm. present but i mm -hmm. can't think of a time that he wasn't present with me and uh leading me through some pretty bad times pretty dark times i mean i can remember in um talk about john kai's again we had just sang <clears throat> First of all, in Munich, and we said goodbye to each other at the airport that morning in Munich. And I was flying on to to uh, Turin, Torino, Turin, and he was flying back home, I think. And um, and I had been sharing some faith things with John while I was in uh, while we were in Munich. And when I got to Tur Turin that night, I think it was, I called home to see my wife was doing because she was pregnant with our, our fourth child, and we found out that day we lost that child. This mm. and so here I was in Turin getting ready to sing Meister Singer. And I was devastated, absolutely devastated. And John got a hold of me. He says, you know, all those things you were telling me, you know, when we were in Munich together, is now you need to lean upon that. And he was mm. absolutely right. He was absolutely right. And as time, that was, that turned out to be a really rough month. Um, we lost the baby. My wife came down with Bell's palsy, may have been related. I don't know. We, don't, we never will know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Holy God. Then my dad passed away a few weeks later, and we went through a pretty dark time. I, I think in my faith and all, I felt really kind of attacked, and we drifted away from the, from the church for a few years, um, even though we were attending a different, you know, a Protestant church, and and that was all. Mm -hmm. When you say you felt attacked, what do you mean by that? <clears throat> With <clears throat> all these bad things happening at one time, you know. Got it. Like Sad karma, like karma was coming down exactly. on you, or and something. And I, I didn't have the tolerance and patience for Joe. <clears throat> I, I just didn't have that, you know. And Got it. Would have liked to have had that, but it just, it, it, I just, I don't know that I was foundationally as strong as I needed to be for the mm -hmm. battle. So we stepped away for a while, and um, then after several years, I realized that something was greatly missing. And I remember I was doing Hoffman at the Met. And a friend of mine who's a priest who just passed away, that's another incredible story, mm. um, was coming to the performance. And so he led me back into the church after that performance in my dressing room at the Metropolitan Night, uh, Metropolitan Opera. Um, so there was, there's, oh gosh, you know, let me tell you, there's so many experiences uh, where, and it's not, it's not just a thing about saying, okay, I really need you at this moment, God. I really need you, Lord. I really need you to help me through this time. Please bless me, blah, blah, blah. Yes, 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 yes. Of course, we need that. But it's the times that you just feel that he's walking with you all the time without you even need to reach out because you know he's mm -hmm. there. Um, those are mm -hmm. the times that then you walk off and you say, yeah, okay, yeah, I know it. I feel it. I feel it. And it's wow. not just a feeling. It's, it's a knowingness. It's, it's a knowingness. There you go. <clears throat> it's, 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 it's a place of being with the Lord. It's, it's, it's a mm -hmm. place of, 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 yes, it's more comfortable and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can do anything. You can do anything, and yes. I'm a little farm town. People where I come from do not go into office. Yeah, know? me too. For this reason, he had me do what I do. I mean, Jerry mm. Hadley grew up about 40 miles from me, north northwest. Mm. His aunt was the fifth grade teacher in my school. And oh my gosh! He and I would remark, "What is this?" You know, <laughs> I, I never saw an opera till I was in three or four. I never planned on doing it. I remember going with my my girlfriend at the time. She's now my wife of 40, almost, well, 41 years. Um, she was from New Jersey. And we met in college and we went out to meet her parents. 
uh, over a spring break, and they got tickets for us to go see Manolo go at the Met. Ooh. And uh, I remember Pablo Oliveira was uh, in it, and Teresa Cilascara, and I can't remember who all, but mm-hmm. I remember sitting there one time, and I, again, I was getting my education degree, and I thought, God, if I could just sing one note on that stage sometime in my lifetime, yes. that would be fulfilling, and I'd be fine. Yes. Well, yeah, I've sung a few thousand notes on that stage. But <laughs> it, it, it just... I saw your resume and the list of what I have never... I mean, maybe Domingo I've seen with with uh, more than that, but my Lord, how... There's a lot of variety. And, wow. It's uh, seven <clears throat> different languages. I didn't expect to do this, but the Lord do it all the time. He knew I was going wow. to. And so everything is an awakening. You know what? And here I am, uh, almost 64 years old. Is that right? Yeah, carry the one. Um, it's almost. I still feel that every day. I still feel something new every day. I'm not. I, I always said I'm going to sing as long as I have nothing else to learn about singing. Amen. Singing a long time. Let me tell you, I, yes. I, there's a lot to learn. It's the same thing in life. You know, he's going to have me keep learning and keep having me have these experiences and and keep, hopefully, 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 my career is a witness to my faith when I'm talking to other people and my students, and I, I don't have to go out and beat the drum all the time, although I enjoy doing that too. I don't have to do that, but he's got me doing this for a reason. And Absolutely. Every time I see, you see why. Wow. Well, you know, I told you I've been stalking you for this interview, so I've been like... <laughs> You're the one, huh? And I, I'm good at doing all of that, finding everything out, and everyone that I spoke to said the same thing about you. That he's Uh-oh. the real deal, and they all said, "You guys, lying, Bobby. Who are these people?" <laughs> they said, "You guys are going to have so much in common because of my experiences with God." And I was raised a Pentecostal with gospel uh-huh. music, and oh, I love uh, it! I love it. All I did was we grew up with church and sports, right? And 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 music. We did the musicals, and when I was a, the, a young little, guy, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. The little hometown I grew up in. Uh, the, 1,067 people, Washburn, Illinois. And uh, I don't know if you know anything about automobiles, but the Duryea automobile, I don't know if you've ever heard of that. One I of the Duryea automobiles was born in my hometown. That's our claim to fame. No. Uh, <laughs> that explains it. There's a seed of greatness there. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, we had all these little churches. There was a Disciples of Christ church. There was between us and our suburb, Low Point, which was about 250 people, they, there was two Methodist churches, two Lutheran churches, uh, brother, or Church of the Brethren, many Mennonite churches in the area. Many okay. Of the but, uh, boy, could those guys run cross country too. Uh, and and <laughs> Presbyterian churches, there were two of those. And and then there, and the, the Lutheran church was Missouri Synod. And then there was the Catholic church. Now, all these churches would get together, except for the Missouri Synod Lutherans, would get together for services during um, uh, Lent on every every Sunday night. We'd go to a different church. It's fabulous. I was in the high school choir, so we would go sing for, for each each week. And the churches would have their, their own um, musicians as well. And I can remember at the, the Church of the Brethren, she was playing piano as an older woman, and she would stop her foot while she played, which was great. I'm sitting like in the front row. And the louder she played, the higher the leg would go. Yes. It was hilarious. I don't know why I remember it. I don't remember almost any of the sermons from those years, but I remember that. The music. But, um, but then we'd all get together in the high school gym for the Palm Sunday service together. And you'd mm. have you know, hundreds of people. What a culture. So, yeah, exactly. So And also, it was all that singing that people did. We were in school systems where music was encouraged. Yes. And then we got to the middle of the 70s, and, they, and schools around the country started cutting music programs. And we're, we're yeah. reaping rewards of that right now. When we You reap the, what you sow. Exactly. When you hear the problems with, with classical music and audiences, and because they have not learned an appreciation from a very early age, which we had. And wow. uh, I wrote a thing yesterday. I forget what I wrote it for, though. It really had an impact on me. No, I can't remember. Are you sure you're not a tenor? <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. Oh, no, don't do it to me. That's Lord, I uh, He does. <laughs> That's why grace is amazing. <laughs> I wrote about this very thing about, you know, they, they, somebody was talking about what do we got to do for opera in the future? And we have to change this. We have to change this. We have to change it. And I said, no, the problem is, yes, we need all those things. 
but we can't forget our heritage and our past. We're exactly. talking about a 400 year old art form um, that has done just pretty doggone fine. Well. It survived. Yeah. yeah. And the yeah. history of, of, of the singers and the directors and the conductors and the music itself. I mean, I know, know young singers that I'll sit and talk to and I'll say, can you name me five historic Mrs. Sopranos? Can you name me five sopranos, tenors, basses, whatever? They can't. Yes. They can't. I said, well, then welcome to my opera literature course. Yes. And we, we yes. delve into all that. So if we throw all of that away, if we don't know, you know, our past, we don't know where we're at right now. Well, how the heck are we going to know where we're headed? And so th this is a problem with opera right now. And one of the reasons we don't know our past is because we cut music from the school. So well, we have got to invest yeah. in education. So I educator <laughs> i um got a student a few years ago who graduated from a prominent university who i will not well, say i know where this is going <laughs> who took the opera literature uh classes past but had no idea who the singers of the past were so, and i'm like how can you not teach that i sat in a graduate oral examination <laughs> their final exams and uh, they couldn't name me any of the singers. I said, you've got to be kidding. They can name me a few present day singers. I was mm -hmm. like, what, what, what are you listening to? Well, yes. I watch it on YouTube. That's taking away a large part, your most important part yes. of the singer is you're listening. You're being yes. able to hear and discern. And they're taking that part of their instrument and just throwing it away. Because when you watch a video, you're spent so much time watching the video that you're not listening to what what's going on. And yes. so we've lost that individuality, we've lost all that, and we've got to start training singers to listen and not just try to produce all the time. Imagine that, you know, imagine. Exactly, so, yes. Yeah, I've asked a tenor, I want you to listen to Geely and tell me what you think about, oh, you mean uh, the musical? <laughs> oh. I'm like, no. And then they're like, oh, well, you know, I really love opera. Phantom of the Opera is my favorite. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Remember, you were, talk you were talking to a tenor. Okay. And then a mezzo. I'm like, I want you to listen to Marilyn Horn. Who's Marilyn Horn? And that's not even that old. Exactly. I, I, when, one of the recordings I always play in my opera literature course is um, from the Bing Gala in 1972, I guess. Um, Robert Merrill and Richard Tucker singing. Oh, my God. The Forza duet, right? Oh, How? My, oh and Birgit Nielsen singing the Zollinger final scene. And they that. were like our age now, then. Yeah, and they yeah. were singing like God oh, back then. The oh. power, the magnificence, the, the, the voice, the pure... Oh, yes. Let it sing. And they sit there, my students sit there and go, I, I, I mean, their jaws hit the floor. They yeah. absolutely, well, why don't they know about these people? Yes. Why, why isn't the curiosity being instilled in yeah. young singers? And that's, you have to have curiosity in order to be in this business. And again, it's because so many music programs are lacking uh, in, their, in their formative years. Uh, so if, if we, I have taught a difference. We've got to go backwards and connect I have taught Yes, I've taught this young baritone who's doing pretty well, singing around. And I said, I want you to listen to Igor Gorin. He's like, who is that? <laughs> and I... When I first started singing, I sang at a restaurant in Palm Springs. Oh, it was an fun. Italian restaurant. And he was the one that sent me to USC, the owner. Yeah. But he was this Italian guy who loved the Neapolitan, but he loved singers. So at the end of the night, uh, when we were done, we'd be at the bar having a drink, and he would play different famous singers of the past. Yeah. And we had to guess who each yeah. singer was. And that was the greatest education I ever had. Because yeah. yeah. not only did I learn who they were, but there was a mystery about discovering it, and, and I learned the love of learning their technique and their way of of achieving and, greatness absolutely and uh, you know i'll turn on you know uh sirius xm the operas and all that endless and listen and say who's that voice who's that voice who's that voice the ones that you can say that voice is because you you know that voice and the distinct yes. sound now so much so many sound exactly the same for crying out yes, loud. yes. but but those distinctive voices now yes. you said you can see are you talking new california right yes 
You're not talking to that place in South Carolina. I want to make ah. sure. So yeah. were you there when Walter DeClue was still there? No. I didn't know when he left there. The reason I asked is because my teacher was from USC. And, okay. uh, and they yeah. did so many pieces for the first time in the United States there, like Friedenstock. Uh, and, boy, you know, yeah. he would, Walter DeClue would, would, would do all the things. And he was uh, the one who would sit me down. My teacher then was the one who would sit me down, you know, in opera literature course and say, listen to this singer and listen to this singer yes. and this singer. So it must have been something about USC. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. And that was back in the day. Thomas Hansen was just a couple of years ahead of me. And Eduardo Villa was there. And the famous teacher of Fritz Wunderlich or Horst Gunther was there. Another. There right. is nothing better than Fritz Wunderlich singing these buildings. Oh. I mean, oh. That's yeah, a and, and he's a German that makes it sound almost Italian. It's so. He's only about 34 years old at the time. Oh. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, I right. do it. Well, and I that's do... a very good point, what you said. He was a German that sang Italian. Because and as a Wagner singer, you must remember that Wagner never had Wagner singers. Wagner mm. had range singers, so you have to sing it the same. Exactly, beautiful. Well, you were definitely a master of that. Uh, ah. Listening to you, so, <laughs> so folks, you guys, you have to go to YouTube. Just type in his name. You're going to find a few really <laughs> Wagnerian performances of his, which are fantastic. I do have a little God story I want to share with you. Please, please. <clears throat> so I told you I lost, I was in the Caruso competition for young tenors in, in Milano. De Stefano was the judge. He was my mentor. I was set to win the competition. Uh, I'm not judging what that was. I'm just saying, because he brought me there. Right. Well, I, that year I had uh, laryngitis almost the entire year. They could not get rid of it. Oh, scary. And so I forced the instrument. I got to sing at this competition. I couldn't. Lost my voice. Of course, now we know it's, it's vocal dysphonia, the emotional trauma. He made me walk out on stage in the finals without ever singing a note in any of the divisions and apologize to the audience. Afterwards, he takes me out to dinner and he says, not so easy to be a great tenor, is it? <laughs> wow. I left and I wanted to kill myself literally because that was my whole dream I worked my butt off to be that guy I'm on the plane Alan and I, I'm sitting right next to the emergency row door and in my mind I'm going to jump out I'm going to jump out I'm going to jump out the only thing that kept me from jumping out of the door was my concern for other people. Mm -hmm. And I was so in a panic attack, I opened up the Bible and I went to Psalms. And I started reading Psalms, all of these messages. And then all of a sudden I hear a, a voice, a baritone voice. Charlotte Aldrich. Oh. I'm turning. I'm like, okay, they're wanting to contact Charlotte Aldrich. I don't know who that is. Go back to reading. Charlotte Aldrich. What the heck is that? Not in my head. I'm hearing an audible voice. Well, to make a long story short, the third time happens. I say to the guy next to me, did you hear that? What? Somebody's saying Charlotte Aldrich. I didn't hear anything. So am I okay? I'm reading. I calm myself down. I get to San Diego. And there was another Mario's restaurant there that he owned where I had been singing. And <clears throat> I went there to have dinner with uh, my parents and all of the singers came up. How did it go? How did it go? Oh, you don't want to know. It was terrible. I lost my voice. And they were all consoling me. And then this tenor, Glenn DeBreo, was singing Nessum Dorma. And I had heard Glenn for years and he was not all that great. But now Glenn was glorious. He came over the table. Hey, Danny, what's going on? How was the trip? And I'm like, Glenn, you sound fabulous. What in the world happened to you? Oh, I've been studying with Charlotte Aldrich. Uh, had you ever heard of her before? Never heard of her. Never heard the name. You, you know what the best part of all that is, too, is the voice that you heard 
was a baritone. <laughs> Only a baritone. You are a tenor, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> no, These are tenor uh, lines. <laughs> that is phenomenal. That's, that, I, well, what's, what, what do we hear? That the voice of the Lord is in the wind. There you go. You know, and yeah, wow. Wow. Any singer who says they have never had uh, one of those nights where you just think, I'm done. I'm fin finished. I, I can't do it. They're not telling you the truth. Yes. We've all been there. It's a horrible, I, I, and, and it can be on, it wasn't, you know, that kind of level, but oh my gosh, I've had performances where I bombed. I can remember doing one in Covent Garden in a production of an opera that I shouldn't have been doing. I was way too young to be doing it. They cast me in this major league role and uh, it just wasn't appropriate. And I, I bombed. I knew I did. I knew I, I, the thing was, it was one of those roles that you sing really well in the first, when you first get there in the rehearsal period. And by the time you get to the performance, you can't sing it anymore. We're crying out loud, whether mm -hmm. it be singing too much and you're tired or the production doesn't work for you or the conductor doesn't work for you. Gee, imagine that. And, and <laughs> it, whatever, for whatever reason, it just doesn't happen. I knew it. And I got shredded. Yeah. Press. I got shredded and I deserved it. Maybe not yes. in some ways that they, they words they use, but I certainly didn't do my, but I had to learn to take the lumps with it too. Yes. And again, then it would come back to the experiences I had in athletics. You know? Yes. And of course, uh, and of course, you know, my relationship with the Lord, that there was a reason for me to be doing this. Okay. Yes. He didn't promise it was going to be easy. Like, like you said, it, it, like it wasn't going to be easy for it to be a world-class tenor. And I've listened to your recordings. Well, I spy it on you as well. I mean, mm. there's phenomenal singing going on there, Daniel. Thank uh, you. To, yeah, again, he wasn't done with you yet, so he pointed you to the way to go, to Charlotte mm -hmm. Aldridge, for crying out loud. How long did you study with her then? I did for two years, and here, here's the, the hook. Charlotte didn't really fix my voice, but she helped fix me. Ah. Ah. There you go. And so at one point, I was vocalizing, and... Um, she slammed, and now here was a very, she was a, a teacher at San Diego State of voice, right? She slammed the piano down, which she would never do. She got pissed, which she would never did. Yeah. She looked at me and she said, let it sing. It knows a hell of a lot more about singing than you do. Oh, wow. Wow. That's so true. Again, we're not paid to think. <laughs> there I, it is. I say every week, probably two or three times a week, Teaching voice is 30%, you know, working with voice, 70% working with the mind. You have to be a trained, almost psychologist or something, you know, there so you go. especially in these days of teaching now, post COVID and so yes. many students have been, you know, damaged and fractured by everything, by life here the last several years. You have to really um, tune in to the person almost more than the voice. Be transparent. He did that to you. Yeah. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Exactly. She yeah. used to tell me that verse many, many years ago. Wow. And now on my website, folks, if you go there, you'll see a link for what I call neurosinging because I use a lot of neuroscience. And a lot of it came from my sports background. Mm -hmm. What were your sports? Uh, oh, baseball uh, from five years old all the way through high school, wrestling football, just about anything. Um, so the same messages, it's like sports psychology, you know, the, the, the famous batter is, goes into a slump and he goes to a, a sports psychologist. When was the last time you really felt good about playing? When I was in Little League, she's like, okay, what did it smell like when you got to the ballpark? How did you feel? And then she made him take that to the big leagues when the next time he got up to bat, and then all of a sudden his batting average started. That's a true story, by the way. Oh, wow. Well, it's that's about awesome. using the other side of the brain so that you're not using cognition to try to drive vocal technique. Absolutely. Of course, there's a point for that when you're, you're practicing and studying with your teacher, but not in the moment. Oh, you absolutely. have demonstrated that. It's one thing like what I did for a short period of time. You did it for multiple decades. And hopefully a few more. No, I don't know about that. Yeah, right? It, it hit me this year when I was at the Met. Um, 
and I looked at the roster and I sung in the eighties, the nineties, the, whatever those, the aughts, the, you know, and, and this last decade too. So I was in my fifth decade of singing in the Metropolitan Opera. And I was That's like a Jerome Hines thing, you know, who was I think, like, I think he made five, he might've made six. Jim Morse made five or six. Um, there was only two singers that were on the Met roster who sung in the eighties on the, on the, still on the roster. And yes, it's an incredible blessing, but I, and I, I recognize that, but I, I, again, I go back to why was I supposed to do that? You know, why was it all, why is all this, it's Gesamtkunstwerk, you know, as we like mm -hmm. to say, you know, it's all the elements of life and all the experiences and everything coming together. And without one part of that, we're not in that total Gesamtkunstwerk. So that yes. part had to happen for me or I would not be the person that I am, you know. I again, I was back in Illinois in my home area just last week to visit my 92 year old mother. Um, and it was a great, great time. And my little hometown had a new barbecue restaurant, which was so good. And uh, it was just just great to when I see those cornfields and I see those bean fields. And I know that I used to walk those fields and I used to pull weeds in them and I put hay up in the barns that are around there. It's all part of the experience. And I wow. see the name. I go walking through the cemetery of my hometown, and I see the names of people that so it's it's history to me, and that's all part of the Gesamtkunstwerk. Everything you know, in the middle of a performance, some of those things pop into your mind. Yes. I don't know of a performer who just is so into being Rodolfo or so into being uh, Scarpia or or Botan that they can't think of something else in the middle of a performance. All kinds of thoughts go through my mind. Where's dinner tonight? What am I doing? All those game things. Sure, sure. But people and experiences of life pop in as well. And I'm like, I'm going to use that tonight. That's something. So it's all, it's all together. I have no idea how I got off on this tangent. It, well, but, it, it's a great point. And that's the whole, you are demonstrating the neuroscience that I'm talking about. You're using your imagination and memory yep. to activate into... Absolutely. real practice some energetic force that helps you in that performance that's exactly right you're exactly and i can just imagine when you talk about baseball when i think back to my days of little league I, I remember the smell of my glove or the leather balm that you would put in it to, to loosen it or the smell of a new baseball when they take it out of that little box and it'd be oh. a little paper in it. i mean that's that's it doesn't get better than that you know, yes. that that's what growing up was and getting getting that 15 cent ice cream cone at the end of the game if you want you know those kind of experiences come back yes know. and they and they are not just a a fantasy or a daydream there are practical applications on how it can change your performance and you have to be open and be in touch with that yes just you have to be open to the holy spirit working in your life too you've got to be open to all of life at one time and when people start to shut down well, that brings unhappiness, that brings despair, that brings depression, all of those things. You, we think we're protecting ourselves so much of the time, we're actually we're hurting ourselves. So we have to open it up. Man, absolutely. Brother, I can't wait for you to read my book because you're going to see I can't either. a lot of these stories. A lot well, of these stories. I read stories. it ahead. That's where I got it on. No. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, you did say one thing I found fascinating. You said that's not who I am. Who are you? Good question. You know, it's easy to say that I'm just me. I am who the Lord created me to be, at least I'm trying to be. Um, I think I am an open person, open to whatever is ahead of me. Um, you know, I was thinking earlier today, isn't it interesting that the Old Testament begins with, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then the, the New Testament begins, in the beginning, was the word. Word. The word exactly. is with God. <laughs> exactly. So, and, and people talk about, what's your favorite, you know, favorite verses and everything. And I, I think that that's probably my favorite. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Because starting from there, at that moment, then everything you want to talk about evolution, <laughs> but if you want it, everything came out of in the beginning. And I think that I'm a person that's kind of an in the beginning person. 
I feel that I'm constantly being created, constantly being molded, constantly being put to new experiences, to have new people come into my life, to have me do this job, to have me go out into the performance. I mean, why was I flying off to do that in that city at that moment of time? There's a reason for it. And I may not always know the reason. And maybe it's going to be revealed to me at some other time, or maybe it won't. It doesn't make any difference. I'm just trying to be open to whatever comes when I'm, you know, when it's supposed to, or when the Lord allows, or whatever. And there'll be things that I think that I should be, that should be something I should do. The Lord says, no, 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 that yet. You know, it's not time. And there are times when it's, at least in my experience, where it's clear that you should do something, but perhaps you're afraid or you're intimidated, right. and you have to say, by that knowingness that mm -hmm. I have this communication, I'm going to go. Absolutely. I'm going to do it, no matter Absolutely. what. Absolutely. And I can say in my personal experience, never has that equation failed me. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I, I can't remember, the, the, there were four things, I could look them up, they're somewhere on my computer, that I used to think were important to evaluate when I was offered a new new contract or a, a new um, a role to sing. You know, is do I have the talent? Do I have the uh -huh. skill to actually yes. sing this role? Do I have the desire to do it? What is the impact that this is going to be upon myself, upon my career, upon others, et cetera? You know, and you really have to evaluate these things, these things to um, know what value it is as part of who you are, again, uh, to use that word. Mm. Because if you're going out to do, I mean, I was offered a few years ago a world premiere of an opera. Uh, it's been more than a few years. And, uh, you know, the, the opera hadn't even been completely written yet, as these things go. And, but I said, well, send me some samples of the composer's music. And, he, and I liked it. I thought, oh, good music. Okay, so send me libretto. Well, the libretto came, and it was so foul, so foul. It was also so full of, of, of language and, and things that I just couldn't pull off. Mm. And I said, I can't have my kids come to the show and see me do this. I can't make this work. Okay, maybe it's my flaw, maybe whatever. I cannot make this work. And so you yes. have to say, I cannot do this. Now, people will say, well, how did you sing Butzek? How did you sing, uh, you know, I play a lot of bad guys. Butzek's not a bad guy. He's just tormented. Scarpia. It is, yeah, it's Scarpia. There you go. That He's guy. kind of a bad guy. <laughs> and, and, and because evil exists. Yes. Evil exists. It does. And for that one hour, two hour, three hour, six hours, however long it is, I'll be the face of evil. Sure. So the contrast to what good is as well. Because yes. fortunately, good almost always wins out, you know? So again, that means I'm usually dead. But, it, you know, it, 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 there is, and you see it in the second act of Valkyra with 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 Vota and his long monologue that he goes through, the torment that he goes through of, of, of what is right and what his desire is. Yes. And that's where the entire ring cycle spins on. That's where the whole thing happens right there. Mm. You have to capture those moments and and build upon them. And so and that's a lot of life. You have to know what's what 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 is possible and what is necessary. And wow. yeah. That's that is cool it. stuff. Um ladies and gentlemen, we have just heard from a legend. And I'm so privileged to say a brother. Uh, I share a lot with your philosophy of life and your perspective. And I'm in awe of the career that you've had. Just like I'm in awe of the length of like Placido Domingo's career and Pavarotti's career. How Richard Tucker, Merrill, how they did it so long. It's one thing to do it and get there, but to stay there like you, you have done it's a hard part is is remarkable and i just want to say i have been honored to have you on the show thank you so much any closing thoughts that you have for us or more wisdom thank you and thank you john kais for suggesting us thank yes. you for having me and for us to have this conversation it's 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 so important for people to share life together and to share experiences because it hopefully it enriches someone else it helps somebody else yes. but to bring that out of yourself when you say you know talk about this or everything 
sometimes you, you, you it's all in there, but you don't think about it. And you've given us an opportunity to to, to talk and absolutely. Share. I absolutely greatly appreciate what you're doing, Dan. Thank you, brother. So, folks, go to my website if you get a chance, and it's danielhendrick.com. And check out my book, Know You Know. It chronicles my life's journeys, the ups and downs, losing my voice, everybody in the world giving up on me, laughing at me, telling me it was impossible, ministers coming, a rear admiral from the Navy coming and telling me I had to give up, it wasn't God's plan. But guess what? When you know, you know, that which appears to be a miracle is not a miracle at all. So I encourage you to grab that. My brother, God bless you, and thank, thank you. you, folks. Thanks for listening to us today. God bless. Bye-bye. Jacob.